<clears throat> so before before we're going to start with this morning session, I just like to remind all of us, including myself, you know, to always wear a mask when you are inside because it's it gets quite easy, you know, to forget it. I sometimes you know, come out of my room and then, oh, I notice I forgot to put my mask on. So that's like just like an extra addition to our mindfulness practice to be aware that if we are outside of our rooms or if we are not like walking outside in the fresh air, that we always put our masks on. As unpleasant as it is. And it's, it's not very fun, you know, to speak with a mask on all the time. So just like an additional, it's a tutanga practice. This is uh, ascetic practice these days. Yeah. So thank you for doing that, you know, for all of us. Helps to keep keep the framework we have been, uh, you know, committing to obey to for this retreat and to cooperate with and Yeah. So, yeah, Ayananda Bodhi is going to give some reflection this morning, and we can just sit quietly until she is coming, okay? We've kind of dived in deep quite early in the retreat in terms of the truths of life. And so I just want to emphasize the importance of balance, uplifting the heart and mind. And uh, yesterday we were practicing the metta bhavana, cultivating kindness in the heart and, and not only generating it from this heart, but recognizing that there are others. I, w- I would guess, like, w- pretty much any time of any day, there's somebody in the world generating metta for all beings. So also to take that in, take in the support that is part of our life, to remember our interconnectedness. And uh, also, you know, while walking through the forest, this beautiful forest here, we're remembering that we're breathing together the humans and the trees and the animals and the flowers and the insects, we're all breathing together, we're sharing the same breath. So um, I want to really emphasize that need for balance, yeah, need for, for the uplift and the sense of interconnection and bringing up the, the truths that the Buddha is pointing to, the truth of the limitations of this this body of this realm, it, it is limited, and uh, he points to that not so that you know, not so that we kind of feel despondent, but so that we see what is true and what is real. So it's said that the contemplation of death, as we have been doing last night and a little bit this morning, contemplation of death leads to the deathless. So we see what is impermanent. We see what is temporary. And it, uh, at first we want to hold on to it and we say, no, we want to take issue. No, no, I don't want that to change. I don't want it to end. I don't want it to, to be like that way. And then when we let go and come really into the present, then things start to open up. It, it's, it's beautiful. 
it's peaceful, it's, it's uh, never lonely <laughs> when one is fully present. So it's a paradox, it's almost like, a, sometimes I think of it like, um, you know, if there's like a, a, a vortex, something swirling, and when we're at the edge of it, we're just kind of running around and around and around. And then it seems like if we get closer to the middle, it gets worse. We go faster and faster, so we don't want to go that way. We want to stay, move further out into the edges, but then we just keep going around and around and around. But if we dare to go into the centre, the very centre of our experience, right here, which can be a little turbulent getting there sometimes, but if we dare to go right into the centre of our experience, there's stillness there. It's no longer spinning, it's just still. So this is kind of what... uh, we're exploring in this practice. And uh, I wanted to read, so I mentioned yesterday Patachara was, uh, you know, after her terrible ordeals, um, you know, and she became, she, she fortunately stumbled across the Buddha and he recognized her you know, he had compassion for her and also recognized her, her potential to um, no longer be a, a crazy woman, but to be an, a liberated being, a liberated woman. And uh, so you know, she became one of the great teachers of that time, had quite big followings. And so I'd like to read another poem today which is uh, by her students. So it's um, from a group as, of as many as 30 students of Patachara. So we don't quite know how it was formed, this poem, but it's, uh, it's, it's uh, said to be from her students. And again today, I'm, I'm going to, we're going to read Hallis, Charles Hallisay throughout the retreat and switch up the, the alternative ones. And I'm still reading Mary Winegast today, but we'll do different ones on different days. So Charles Hallisay's translation. A group of as many as 30 nuns. And the first part is them recounting um, what Patachara said to them. Young men find wealth taking sticks and threshing grain, taking care of wives and children. Do what the Buddha taught. There's nothing to be sorry for after doing it. Quick, wash the feet, sit down off to one side. Intent on calming the mind, do what the Buddha taught. And then spoken by Patachara's students about themselves. They heard her words, what Patachara taught. They washed their feet, sat down off to one side, intent on calming the mind. They did what the Buddha taught. In the first watch of the night, they remembered their previous lives. In the middle watch, they cleansed the eye that sees the invisible. In the last watch of the night, they split open the mass of mental darkness. So uh, that last uh, stanza is um, is something that comes up again and again in the suttas, and it's uh, for those who direct their mind in that way. um, It's uh, it's these three knowledges that can arise just shortly before awakening, full awakening, and uh, so it's the knowledge of of previous lives. So the, the way they describe it is, and this is this, these are people who've been cultivating, practicing for a lo- you know for a long time, whose minds are really stable, and malleable, clear, bright, and they're not they're not struggling with the hindrances anymore. So this is like just before enlightenment. So don't expect to get this on this retreat, but if you do, let me know. <laughs> um, so the first the first thing. That, that comes when they turn their mind to it is that they see their previous births. So I know in this culture, people either do or don't believe in rebirth. But this is one of the 
insights that arises. Also, the Buddha himself had these same insights. So they see their previous birth, one birth, two births, three births, four, five, and, they, and it goes back. And uh, sometimes it's listed, you know, like, and then they saw in this birth they were born in this kind of family, and they had... They wore these. They had this kind of job, and they wore these kind of clothes, and they ate this kind of food. And then in this, fa- and then they were died, and then they were re- reborn, and then they were in this kind of family, and they had, you know, this. They were this kind of class, and had this kind of clothing, and this kind of food. So they sort of list these things, and sometimes people are reborn in animal realms, or in the hell realms, or in the heavenly realms, and you know, any any of those realms, the six realms. In the Buddhist understanding of cosmology, it's not a linear, it's not like you start at the bottom and work your way up, but that there's this kind of tumbling around these realms endlessly. This is what the word samsara, samsara, the endless round of rebirths. So here we are in our tumbling, in this rather good, actually, believe it or not, rather good realm. Human realm is the, is the best realm for awakening the most auspicious realm for awakening. Um, so, and, and we're all fortunate enough to hear the Dharma, which is an incredible blessing, to hear it and understand it enough to want to follow it. So we're in a good situation here, guys. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that there's, this rec- there's this insight where one's, one goes back and, and it's kind of wearying, you know, you see like, okay, around and around. Another, another, you know, another exciting whatever, you know, and another ending of that, and another difficult situation, and another ending of that, and on it goes. So that's the first insight in the first watch of the night. And then the second insight is seeing, she says here, this one says, seeing what is invisible. Usually the, the so that may be the divine eye, I would guess that's the divine eye. Often it's the, the, the Often it's mentioned of um, seeing the arising and passing away of beings, so not one's own life, but just the, the general, that general process that everything is arising and passing away. And it sounds like this is probably seeing the, the devas, the, the celestial realms, having the divine eye. And then the third, in the third watch of the night, in the last watch of the night, they split open the mass of darkness. So the mass of darkness is the darkness of ignorance, of, of not seeing clearly, of following greed and aversion and, and confusion, delusion. So that is broken open finally. Not just for a little glimpse, for a little moment, but it's broken open, finished. So this is the these are the disciples of Patachara. So obviously she was able to transmit her, her insight and her teaching to guide people towards full awakening. And I'd like to read um, Marie Weingast's translation. He, he particularly... Um, in, sorry, excuse me. Thank you, Santa. Uh, it's not a translation. It's writer. He particularly is an interpretation of this poem. He particularly wanted to find a way of communicating... Um, the the sort of insight to people who may not be Buddhist or may not particularly want to or may, may not feel resonant with the actual text. And I, I have a, a bad habit of calling it a translation in a sort of slightly colloquial way. So, mm-hmm. so uh, it's a it's an interpretation. One could also call it like a, a free adaptation, and then on the cover of the book, what is it called? There, yeah, reimagining, a reimagining. Reimagination. Because reimagining. 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 Because originally there had been some confusion ar- around this, and we want to make sure, you know, that we don't uh, go down that alley again. So <laughs> maybe you want to very shortly. I wasn't going to do that right now. Okay, no. good. I would like to read this poem. Mm-hmm. So. Patachara's Thirty Nuns Farmers take grain from the earth and branches from the trees. They crack open one with the other and take what's left to feed their families. You are all like unripe grain. Take time to grow. 
Then leave the ground behind and let your husks be stripped away. I promise, less is more. So Patachara told us. So we sat on the ground like unripe grain. We gave ourselves to the path and the path broke us apart. What we feared most is now seen for what it is. True peace, freedom. All that broke apart was the darkness we had for so long been calling our whole world. I'm going to read that one more time. Farmers take grain from the earth and branches from the trees. They crack open one with the other and take what's left to feed their families. You are all like unripe grain. Take time to grow. Then leave the ground behind and let your husks be stripped away. I promise, less is more. So Patachara told us. So we sat on the ground like unripe grain. We gave ourselves to the path and the path broke us apart. What we feared most is now seen for what it is. True peace, freedom. All that broke apart was the darkness we had for so long been calling our whole world. So I find that a powerful interpretation. And uh, naturally we, we cling to what we know. We cling to certainty and to views and to a sense of identity. You know, this is what we do. We cling to those things because it makes us feel safe. But it's, uh, you know, the very clinging itself is the, it, it comes from fear. It comes from a sense of like needing to hold on. So um, it's a kind of, it's a radical shift to gradually let go of those things that we hold on to so tightly as me and mine and to investigate, not, not to, you know, we don't want to kind of just let them all go and go crazy, that's not a skillful way of doing it, but, but to, to investigate, you know, the things that I hold on to that I really feel like I have to have. Can I explore letting go a little, releasing the grip a little bit on those things? I'll just pick one thing maybe and just explore that. This uh, it might be a sense of identity or, a, or a, an idea of a very specific need that has to be this way. Or a view. Views are interesting. You know, we can hold to a view and we're right, I'm right, and they're wrong, and it should be and it shouldn't be. Well, what if I were to soften around that and, and make room for other possibilities? So these are all... Um, ways that we can start to gradually soften around the the sense of separate self that is our core cause of dukkha suffering of difficulty so we are here we are you know we are separate individuals here we are we're all different and we're all very unique and uh, and our paths are also unique each of us so that this is one reality it's not to deny that at all and we're all part of each other we're all um, we're all we're all essentially a process an ever-changing process and what we put in to the system food uh, information um, what we breathe what we drink what we what we think, what we, what we fill our minds with and our hearts with, what we do. This, this is always, this is constantly changing the process of what we are. So we often think of ourselves as a fixed something and it can feel safe and it can also feel like a trap. It can feel terrible sometimes. I don't know for you, but for me it can. And so 
it's an invitation to to look in a different way and to see you know every every um, every act that I do, every thing that I say, every thought that I nurture, whether it's wholesome or unwholesome, influences this process. So, so saying yesterday about the stream of water and that we're like a stream, you know, it's really beautiful to see a, f- a clean stream running. It's, it's alive and it's bubbling and it's sparkly and it's beautiful. But then if you start throwing stuff in it, you know, shampoo and tar and, you know, which is what we do, sadly, human beings, um, in the world and also in ourselves, but the more you kind of throw rubbish in, the less, the less that stream can flow, the less beautiful it is, the more clogged it gets. So we want to apply that to our own body, speech and mind and see like, well, am I just keeping on throwing in that old debris that doesn't, that shouldn't, doesn't belong here anymore? And can I start clearing that out? And uh, instead, of I, instead of thinking this is who and what I am, we're transforming who and what we are, clearing out that stream so that it can flow and be clear and bright. So this is, this is a practice, this is, a, this is, the, this is the practice. And uh, part of that is through um, uh, attending to, being carefully attending to what we allow our minds to dwell on and bringing in the wholesome and and and, and settling the mind. So like I was saying about the the muddy water, you know, when we come in and we're, we're like a, all a bit stirred up and it's like a glass of muddy water and then we want to let that settle so that we can see clearly we can see the potential of this of this life so I'd like to offer that this morning and we can sit in silence
So we have a period of movement meditation outside, if you can, in this beautiful morning. And uh, we have the first practice discussion groups today at this time, so upstairs. So if uh, you're on that list, please come up and we look forward to... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.